Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. Nearly everyone loves a love story. That's what Hallmark, the Hallmark Channel and Lifetime Channel is all about. The love story. And maybe if you're married, maybe you remember your first date, maybe you remember your, your wedding, maybe there's some romantic interludes along the way that, that stand out in your memory. And, and I hope that's true for you. And even as I preach about marriage today, I just want you to know that if you're not married, this is inclusive of you if you have any friendships any relationships at all I will be including you and and today I was married in Inglewood Tennessee in 1983 to the love of my my life my wife and actually last night we were celebrating Mitch and Kim Chalice's 50th anniversary and I was talking to a guy from uh, from Tennessee and he lives in Nashville and I was standing there talking to him. And he said, well, actually, I'm from East Tennessee. And I said, well, that's the preferred part of Tennessee. If I couldn't be a Hoosier and I was going to be a Tennessean, I would live in East Tennessee. And my mother-in-law, who's probably watching online this morning from Inglewood, Tennessee, he, he said, well, I'm from Inglewood, Tennessee. And I said, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. This town is like under a thousand people. It's like a crossroads. They may have two or three shops. Most of them are closed down. And nobody is from Inglewood, Tennessee. And so he looked over at his daughter. He's, he's an old friend of Mitch. They went to church together in, in Nashville at in Grace Place Church. And he looks at his daughter and said, you know, honey, where was I born and where was I raised? Inglewood, Tennessee. Can you believe it? So we started comparing names of people we knew. But that was the beginning, not the beginning, but part of our love story being married so many years, almost 40 years ago. Unbelievable, right? We all, if we are, thank you <laughs> for the golf clap. My, I think my wife probably clapped just now. <laughs> I didn't hear what you said, Glenn. Uh, here's the deal. But through the years, there are ups and downs. There's conflict and there are times of uh, great joy. And in the Bible, we hear a lot about the bliss of marriage. But sometimes we don't look at the reality of relationships. And that's as we're in this series on the family. Just kind of want to talk about it and kind of keep it real. There's a story, a love story in the Bible in 1 Samuel 17, verse 25. And it, it starts like this. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. Doesn't sound very romantic there, does it? And will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Well, what that means is that you were going to get married to the king's daughter. This was the deal if you killed the giant Goliath. You would win the 
king's daughter, Merib, and you would live tax-free for the rest of your life. What a deal. None of us who were married ever got that deal, did we? Do you feel cheated now? So David took him up on this offer, and actually he killed Goliath, got the tax-free income, or the write-off, and he did not marry Merab. He didn't feel worthy. As a shepherd boy in the clan of Jesse, he just didn't feel worthy, so he didn't take the king up on his deal, but he was engrafted into the army, and he led successful battle campaigns. In fact, they said about David that he had killed his ten thousands and Saul had killed his thousands. So this made Saul, King Saul, rather paranoid. So he made, Saul made David a deal that, hey, you can still marry into my family if you kill a hundred Philistines, you can be a part of my family. Well, David thought that was a pretty good deal and so he killed two hundred Philistines to win Michal's. Heart. And so, in 1 Samuel 18, David wins Michal through battle with the Philistines. And that's, I mean, that's a heroic way to win your wife. And Michal loved David, even, in fact, so much that when King Saul was trying to kill David, she hid David in the bed. In fact, they put a dummy there in bed and King Saul's men came in and tried to kill David and she hid David against her own father. But as we read throughout First and Second Samuel, we see there's some conflict in this relationship. David had some other wives. And in fact, when Michal protected David from her dad... Her, her father, Saul, gave her away to another man named Patiel, and she became his wife. Well, fast forward this story forward in history, and obviously King David becomes king, Saul dies, Jonathan dies, the, the lineage of Saul basically is wiped out, and King David becomes king, and he says, listen... They, the Israel, Israel approaches him and says, hey, we want you to be our king. And, and David says, well, you will have to return Michal, my wife, to me. And so he has three other wives as well as Michal. And, and she is returned to him. And obvi obviously he becomes king, king of Israel and Judah. So the story progresses. And David wants to bring the Ark of Covenant into Jerusalem. And this is a symbolic moment spiritually. We are, if you're in Christ and you are a believer and have been a believer, you understand that the Holy Spirit is the presence of God and uh, indwells in every believer. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not indwell every believer, every Jew. It came upon certain Jews, prophets, kings at different times. You'll read that in Scripture. And, and so, this New Testament understanding of the Spirit of God living in you and this temple of God uh, is relatively a new, is a new Testament concept. 
But in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant that we saw in Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you remember that movie, that's been a while, uh, symbolized the presence of the living God, the God of Israel, the God of Judah. And so David wanted to move the Ark back to Jerusalem. It was still in a tabernacle. It was still in a tent. It would remain in a tent or in the tabernacle until the temple was built by Solomon. But through this time, they tried to move the ark the first time in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and they weren't successful because they put it on a cart, tried to move it, and it jumbled, and it was going to fall to the ground. And one of the priests named Uzzah tried to stop it from falling, and in that moment, he died because he touched the ark of the covenant. I mean, this was a powerful instrument representing God on earth, the presence of God. So they, they learn their lesson, and they're moving it again, and they're celebrating. So every, every few steps, they were offering a sacrifice as the ark was entering Jerusalem. The priests were offering this, and this was a sacred moment. And David was so excited and so elated, and he was celebrating. And if you turn in 2 Samuel 6, 16, it says, And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Now, here was a celebratory moment, but she was embarrassed for King David. The setting was the Ark of the Covenant was being brought into Jerusalem for the first time. Please excuse the error on the slide the proofreader, myself, I goofed up. But notice what occurs. So they have this big celebration. The, the king gives all kinds of way, uh, stuff away to all the participants, all the citizens of Israel. And they have a great time in celebration. And then at the end of the day, in verse 20 of this passage, it says, And David returned to bless his household. It had been a glorious day. And he just wanted to share the happiness of the day. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. And then he goes on and he says, and I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you've you've spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Now, folks, this didn't have to turn out that way. And I want you to hear me because I think both parties failed in this marriage relationship in this moment. Not, don't just blame Mikhail. Don't just blame David because it took two in this moment. Mikhail may have been feeling insecure, unloved, She'd been loved by 
someone else. In fact, when David demanded that she be brought back into that married relationship since he was her first husband, her, her new husband cried all the way following. And David banished him basically and said, either you get out of here or you're dead. And so the guy took off. So she may have been feeling insecure. She may have been feeling jealous. She may not have felt attractive. She may not have felt that she'd had David's attention. And in fact, she may have just felt like this was not the way for a king to rule. And on the other side, here was David celebrating the presence of, of the Lord and, and dancing before the Lord and, and had taken off his outer garments and still had clothes on and he was just in the moment. And so you could pick sides if you, if you want to but I believe that they were both equally well they both equally failed in this moment. Have you ever been in that moment before? where you're in the heat of the moment. And, and in fact, it can happen just like that, where uh, something can happen, something can be said, and, and in that moment, the dynamics of the relationship change, and it goes south. And there are high stakes and high emotions and, and, and a lot of passion. And I would challenge you, whether you're married or not, whether you're in any relationship, to step back and take a breath and ask the question, what is the heart of the matter? What is the heart of the matter? What, what is actually going on in this moment? Why are we in conflict? And I would challenge you to master your story, to master my story. And there's a lot of stories that we tell ourselves in our heads. Some of us may feel like that we are the hero in the story. We're responsible, we're an actor, we can make a difference, we can make things better. Some of us may villainize the other party. Well, they're evil, they just don't know, they don't like us, they've always had it in for us. Others of us like the victim role. It's, I can't, I didn't do anything, it wasn't my fault. We can hear our kids say that, can't we? I, I, I just was... In, I was just there. Actually, I wasn't even there. I'm such a victim. Some of us are healers that we just want to get along. And we just, we will get along with anybody and we will bend over backwards and we will try to make everybody feel accepted. And, and, and some of us are just helpers that we just want everybody to make it. So what's the story? What, what do we really, really know? And what is the issue behind all of this conflict? And then why do I feel the way that I do in this moment? Why am I angry? Why am I sad? Why am I hurt? Why am I crying? And then ask yourself this. Why would a sane person act this way? Can we give the other party the benefit of the doubt that they have a rational, thought-out reason why they are doing what they are doing. The brother of Jesus, James, says this in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be 
quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We need to slow our row to take a breath. Anger is my default emotion, and I don't know if it's yours, but it can heat up in a moment, and I always, always regret it. If we can get past the anger, sometimes we can get at the heart of the issue. If we can get past that anger, we can get to where we are. So we need to master our stories. And number two is, we got to ask the question, is it safe? Is this a good time to broach this subject? David, Mikhail, when, when David came home, he was ready to bless his house. And what did he receive? Contempt. Disappointment. Here I am, the king. I, I should be worshipped when I come home. That didn't happen. He didn't feel respected, and Mikkel didn't feel loved. It wasn't safe. It was at the end of the day, the end of the celebration. Have you ever been in that moment where you're worn out, you've worked hard, you've tried hard, you've cleaned hard, whatever you've done, and you're worn out, and then all of a sudden we want to talk about this issue, and it, it wasn't a good time, and it blows up, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. Ask yourself these questions. Is it the right time? Is it the right setting, the right place? Will this em- embarrass someone? Matthew 18, 15, Jesus says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Needs to be face to face, eye to eye, voice to voice. Not in a text, not in an email, not in a Facebook messenger, but face to face. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says this. Paul writes this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now that doesn't mean that we resolve all the world's problems that day. When we were younger, Stacy and I, when we were first married, we, we had probably a pretty tumultuous first year. And I think it was a power struggle of who was going to be in charge and what, what, what we were going to do and what way we were going to do it. I can remember fighting over folding towels. My parents, I, I folded towels one way and she folded towels the other way. And, and she said, I remember this argument, and she can correct it. She's here today, so I'm, I'm in the doghouse right now. Anyway, but, but she would trifold it because it fit better. And I would quad fold it because that's the way I'd always fold it. I didn't know you could fold towels any other way. <laughs> A little stuck in my thinking. And it came down to that's the way her mom always did it, so that's the way we did it. Now, isn't that silly? Yeah, sure is. But don't we fight over things like that? But we were trying to figure out who we were going to be. And if we got stuck there, we would never progress on. So, make it safe. 
Third, start positively with a mutual purpose. Now, what would you want? What do you want in this relationship? Do you want conflict? Do you want continual battle? Or do you want to get along? Do you want to be united? Do you want to have some peace and some support and some security and some stability? And you think through what you want. And think through strategic ways to tar- start the discussion. Because we have two options. Typically we take either the option of being silent and not saying anything. Or being violent and saying too much and out of anger. Because you're so frustrated. We need to find a happy medium of a mutual purpose in kindness. Ask yourself this. How would you like to be approached if there was a concern? At the same time, we need to be kind and we need to be candid. Now, a lot of people are very, very kind and they're not, they're not very candid. They don't engage in the conversation. And others of us are very candid and very truthful, but we aren't very kind And so the challenge is, how do we be kind and candid at the same time? And you might say to yourself, well, Chris, this is a whole lot of work. I don't know that I want to go down that road. It's just so simple just to spurt it out and then live in the doghouse for a while. Well, that's not a good way to go about life, according to Scripture. Proverbs 15.1 says this, a soft answer turns away wrath. The soft answer would be a kind and quiet answer but a harsh word stirs up anger sort of like a picture of a fire and throwing gasoline on it that's what we do when we respond in anger four is this state the facts tentatively and stay focused when i engage in these kind of conversations i often find that I really don't understand the situation. I think I do, and I have a perspective, and I I think I know where this is going to go, and guess what? I don't have all the information, and I don't have that other perspective. And so I need to to step back and find out more information. And then when you address this situation, you need need just the facts without your feelings and your opinions and your judgments say, well, this is what I've observed. This is what I heard you say. Is this accurate? State it tentatively. Ask ask yourself, what do I know for sure? What are the facts? And then fifth, explore the other person's path. How did you come to this conclusion? Now, we laugh over the towels now about how we folded the towels and we discovered that the right way was the way my mother-in-law folds towels. And mom, if you're watching, I still believe you do them right. So in reality, we just had to get a perspective. And that required for us to be curious, to try to figure out what is really going on, and, and to withdraw our judgments, withdraw our emotion, and just say, I'm just wondering... What's going on? And give that other party the benefit of that. And one of the main things, in fact, what I've found even in our staff meetings is if I will listen the first time, if I will listen 
the first time, and I will really, really focus, it reduces the time in conversation. If I will just listen, 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 and focus. Proverbs 18, 13 says it this way. He says, if one gives an answer before he hears, before he listens, it is his folly and shame. It isn't always the way we think it is. And finally, number six, win hearts and not arguments. Win the heart and the heart of the matter and not be argumentative. Isn't that what we want in our relationships? To, to get along, to be peaceable, to be loving and kind and supportive, to, to be respectful to one another and to value each other in such a way. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. The heart matters. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Isn't that what we want? We are writing our love story in our families every day. What kind of love story are you writing? Is it peaceable? Is it kind? Is it candid? Because future generations are depending on you. Same thing is true in our relationships. How are our relationships with one another? Are we engaged in such a way where we can be kind and candid, talking heart to heart, life to life, voice to voice, and growing in unity in Christ? Now, I'm wearing a button-down shirt. If you've been here all summer or you've been watching on, all summer, I've been wearing polos all summer. But I, I wore a button-down shirt today for a purpose. Have you ever wore a button-down shirt and get the one button when you're started off? That's the way it is with our relationships, how we engage with one another. If we don't start off right, it all gets askew. And it just doesn't feel right, does it? God is calling us as Christians to master our relationships in such a way, and our stories in such a way, that, that the world looks at us and says, I want some of that. And that's the Spirit of God and Christ in you as we're growing in the image and the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today's your opportunity to make a decision for Christ. Today's an opportunity to join the family of God here at First Christian Church. Today's an opportunity to make a decision on how you're going to engage in those crucial conversations in your life. I hope you'll make a choice and a decision today. Will you please stand as I pray? Eternal God and Father, we are indeed grateful for our relationships. Whether married or single, Father, that we would handle them with care, that we would master our stories, that we would be kind and candid and loving and respectful in all of our relationships, that you would be honored and people would see the Lord Jesus Christ in us. Father, I pray for those that need to make a decision for you today, that they would come and make that decision to follow you. Father, for those that are looking for a church family, I pray that they would be open and being a part of our family. 
And Father, may we see beyond today for all eternity that, that how we treat one another in marriage and in our relationships, there's eternity at stake because that other person is, has an eternal soul that needs to know you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you come this morning?